Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us. The title of our podcast today is Comparing and Contrasting Chronic Care Management, CCM, and Remote Physiological Monitoring, RPM, What Works for You. I am Ashley Woodhouse, your host today. I'm a pharmacist and manager of St. Joe's Candler Outpatient Anticoagulation Clinics and Ambulatory Care Pharmacists in Primary Care. I also serve as adjunct faculty member for the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy. With me today is Chelsea Keedy, who is a clinical pharmacy specialist at St. Joe's Candler in Savannah, Georgia. Her primary practice site is Primary Care Offices of St. Joe's Candler. She works collaboratively with physicians conducting annual wellness visits and disease state management. She's also developed and supervised outpatient hepatitis C treatment and serves as adjunct faculty for the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy. Last but not least is Dr. Christina Deremer, who is a clinical associate professor at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy and has clinical practice at Community Health and Family Medicine Clinics, which is rural based in Old Town, Florida. Thanks for joining us today, Chelsea and Christina. Let's get started talking about today's topic. RPM and CCM. I'm going to start out with defining chronic care management and remote patient monitoring for us. Based on definitions from CMS, remote physiological monitoring is treatment and management services by clinical staff, physician, or other qualified healthcare professionals providing care in a calendar month. It now requires interactive communication with the patient caregiver during the month, the first 20 minutes. CPT codes for remote patient monitoring are 99457 and 99458. Pivoting to chronic care management services, those are CPT codes 99487, 99489, 99490. Those are disease state management services with required elements of two or more chronic conditions expected to last at least 12 months. So for ambulatory care pharmacy, chronic care management has always been on our radar We weren't able to incorporate it readily into our practice for a couple of reasons over the past few years. Number one, our gap analysis performed a few years ago indicated that we were missing a lot of population health metrics within our annual wellness visits. So that has really been a large value that pharmacy has been able to provide. So we weren't able to add a lot of chronic care management services at that time. And secondly, we have definitely found for chronic care management to be successful you have to have rapport with your physicians. It was definitely valuable for us to, to gain that rapport, that experience, those collaborative practices within our state scope to be able to jump on board and, and you know, integrate chronic care management now. Chelsea, when did RPM become relative or attractive to your patients and your primary care population? Yeah, so it's something that we could have been taking advantage of prior to the pandemic. But the pandemic really highlighted an opportunity for us to look into ways that we could take care of our patients without having to make them come into the office. So we already had a patient population that we were following as pharmacists and managing in conjunction with their providers for diabetes and hypertension primarily. But when the pandemic came, we needed to figure out how we could sustainably continue to take care of these patients remotely. So that's when remote patient monitoring really became of interest to us. We could do it under the general supervision of the physicians, and we could follow the same patient population that we were following previously and 
start kind of tracking our outcomes and what we were seeing with them clinically and just hold them more accountable to reaching their goals. So that's when it became something that we were looking into more seriously. And then throughout the pandemic, we kind of started to ramp up on what we were doing with remote patient monitoring and how many patients we were taking care of. Christina, what are you interested in establishing or defining prior to bringing RPM to stakeholders, since I know this is a practice that you've not yet started in Florida? Thanks for that question, Chelsea. I feel that there would be a couple logistics that we would need to decide on or discuss prior to pursuing in our rural setting. For example, if we're providing patients with the monitoring devices, such as those blood pressure monitors, scales, pulse oximeters, or glucometers, exactly where is that going to come from? Also, do they have the technology intelligence to not only use, but then connect this information back to the clinic in a meaningful way? Many of our patients will bring us beautiful handwritten grids, but electronically transferring that information would be something we would need to teach and also establish the capability to maintain that intent of RPM. We really discovered while implementing video telehealth during the pandemic that a large portion of our population not only lacked the technologies for these higher functions, but also simply the bandwidth for internet altogether. My other need, of course, would then be more personal is understanding the billing requirements for RPM and the role of the collaborating provider, that necessary oversight, and then also initiating that interest level in the conversations with our providers as we've not yet explored that in our clinic while considering, do we have the bandwidth to manage that in a singular manner? Is this a partnership that we would create? So we have a couple of things we would need to work out before we implemented RPM in our clinic. But Chelsea, could you share a little bit more as somebody who has implemented this, how your providers perceive RPM, the patients perceive RPM, and maybe a little bit more about the clinical impact? Thank you, Christina. I think that's a really great question. You brought up a lot of good points. One of those being the concern over the requirement for the automated synchronous device. Luckily, when we started doing this in March of 2020, that's something that wasn't yet required because that was a part of the 2021 physician fee schedule change. So we were able to use patient self-reported information from their meters or home blood pressure logs, although that's certainly not always reliable. I think we were able to still get a lot of information from that and to move forward clinically and to be able to take care of these patients. So I think that the physicians and patients alike have definitely found this to be very beneficial. The patients have expressed a lot of appreciation for the service in terms of added accountability for their health outcomes. I think it's been easier for them to follow with one singular point person telephonically every week or every two weeks, more so than it is feasible for them to come into the office that frequently even if the pandemic wasn't a thing, you know, we have patients that live farther away or that they have barriers to transportation. So I definitely think that that's been a plus for our patient population. The physicians have been appreciative of it as well. We're getting to the point where we're starting to see some of our clinical outcomes that have come from the service. And they're excited about what we've been able to do for the patients. It's definitely to the point where we're certainly not searching for patients to follow. The physicians are coming to us because they've seen the benefit of the service and saying, hey, you know, do you think this is a patient you could start following? I think they'd really benefit from that one-on-one telephonic um, consistent communication. So I do have some brief clinical outcomes that we've been able to look at. So we followed about 61 patients during the pandemic. 
The majority of those were through our remote patient monitoring program. We have two pharmacists that are in the primary care office that I'm in between the two of us. It's a total of 40 hours a week. Our average three-month A1C reduction was about 2.2%, and our average six-month A1C reduction was about 2.24%. When we look at what our pharmacist-driven A1C reduction was prior to the pandemic, the three-month and six-month A1C reduction was around 1.4%. So we were excited to see that we've actually been able to make a bigger clinical impact through our remote patient monitoring program. And I think that's probably just because of the accountability and, and consistency that we've been able to offer. So in terms of barriers to remote patient monitoring, Ashley, we have had some good successes, I would say, but could you explore some of the barriers and why we're interested in potentially pivoting our practice model to chronic care management? Yes, yes. It's been very exciting to discuss. One of the barriers that we've had in general, and it'll continue to be something to pay attention to when we do transition to chronic care management, is the cost to patients. So patients do have some shared responsibility with the copay for remote patient monitoring services or chronic care management. And we've been providing telephone consults for years, guys. Like we all know this, we've been doing this and supporting physicians over the phone. So some of the patients are a little confused when they start to get statements. You know, we've seen this with outpatient INR monitoring as well. So that is something to be aware of. Going to Chelsea's point, the patient acceptance of this program and receiving it positively. Nobody has discontinued services because of their copay, because of the value that they are acknowledging that we provide, but it is something to be to be aware of. And then the second barrier in general is to Dr. Doremer's point, the amount of information service support that we would have to have to align our EMR with the technology that's a new revenue integrity requirement to bill for RPM is significant. We've worked with IS multiple times on multiple projects over the past few years. We've worked with our IS departments regularly over the past few years as we've been integrated into primary care. And no interface with our EMR is a small task. There's multiple people in different departments that have to make sure that things go off flawlessly. So we have decided during the time of the pandemic not to go with a software program that would meet these requirements. And that's just a personal decision with with our health system right now. If there are other health systems that have a heavier pharmacy information services embedment, then that might be more successful for them. But right now, the big limitation is, yeah, getting the IS involvement with the software needed to to our EMR to meet the revenue integrity requirements for this. Since chronic care management has different requirements, but none of them are requiring, you know, interface of monitoring services, that's just going to be something easier for us to pick up and incorporate. I also kind of expect the general profession of pharmacy to be adopting more chronic care management as we've been speaking to right here because of other fee schedule changes with E&M coding and time-based billing requirements and stuff. I think a lot of pharmacists are pivoting to chronic care management models right now. So we hope to have more robust background support to get it off, to get it off the ground. To Chelsea's point, I think there were only a small percentage of patients that we were doing RPM on that are not eligible for chronic care management. So we're still going to be able to take care of those patients, just not in the same formula or uh, protocol as we will with chronic care management. Speaking to revenue integrity interpretations, what do you think, Christina? Is this something that is going to be a barrier for your health system as well? Or can you speak to the need for compliance and documentation? Yes, thank you. This venture has not been without its own hums, but we are progressing nicely at this point. So I'll focus quite a bit more on the documentation compliance piece of that. 
So first, of course, we sought out to get the support from the clinic providers and the C-suite, which was actually really well received at our site. And we quickly progressed to designing the flow. And as I'm, you've already stated, and you know, for chronic care management or CCM, they're generally non-face-to-face services provided to our Medicare patient population. So we designed these intentionally to be telephonic calls, which our patients were able to demonstrate success with during the pandemic. And we really enrolled them out to our already established pharmacy team populations. So an early, easy route that we tackled in creating this relationship with our patients was to create that contract. Now, the contract does not have to be a written document. It could be completed verbally, a patient agreeing to participate in CCM, but we found it easier to explain the role that the patient has, as you said, the shared responsibility by having this tangible written document. It also made it easiest to find it later when we had in the scan document, as opposed to different locations that we could potentially document that verbal connection. Another way to help separate that this wasn't just a random phone call, perhaps, that we have not billed for in the past, we also structured these appointments to very much mimic what it was when patients came into face-to-face appointments within the clinic walls. So we made a very clear plan with card scheduled appointments that the patients would be expected to be available on their phone at say 11 o'clock on that Tuesday. And they would also should be expecting us to call them at that precise time. So creating more of a structured format for appointments, despite them being conducted telephonically and the conversation with these tangible contracts, I think we were easily able to leap over that barrier of some that may get bills. With us rolling this out much more heavily during the pandemic and that mostly being waived, we'll be able to better appreciate patients that may get bills going on into the future. We also kind of stuck with our established patients who had diabetes initially because of that two chronic disease. We had that relationship. We had already easily identified which diseases that we would be focusing on with them. And then collaborating with our supportive providers, we established those goals of therapy together. And so for CCM, you have to have that personalized care plan that's documented also. This would then result when we documented these pieces with the contract, with the care plan, we use Epic as our documentation platform. And we created this module within Epic that allowed us to basically create a CCM episode. And that would house all documentation for that month time period. That then allowed us to link disease states that we would be focusing on during our clinic documentation or our clinical note documentation. So when we called them, we would put down what it was and we'd link in our disease states. We could also track interactions for each encounter for time accruement and then ensure that we met that minimum 20 minute to reach that first non-complex CCM encounter using the code you mentioned before with the 99490. And of course, if we had particularly complex patients and exceeded that 20 minutes within the first month, we could alter that billing code use and add on, say, the 99439 for an additional 20 minutes when that was appropriate to do. I would say, so in summary, we focus much of our documentation on management of chronic conditions, and we use patients we already had that inpatient relationship with, so we weren't cold calling or surprising people with a new person. I think, Chelsea, you mentioned having that one-on-one, that established relationship, and we found that really aided in our ability to connect with patients and roll this out smoothly. We also focused our documentation on the management of prescriptions, oftentimes in relationship with those same chronic conditions that we were working with, and then, of course, we're viewing the patient's status where they were. Now, I know one of the things you can do with CCM tracking is really helping with referrals and coordination with other clinics. And that's not something we've pursued with any 
heavy emphasis. Occasionally, we may help somebody acquire a phone number, but really the other three I mentioned are where we put the emphasis of our time when our pharmacy team is conducting the CCM encounters in collaboration with our physician providers. So overall, I would say key points for documentation that our compliance office really were looking for was that signed agreement. Now, it could have been verbal. We chose to pursue it with more of a written documentation that we scanned in for each patient. Therapy goals being set in collaboration with our provider and finding a place to document that very clearly to show the collaborative approach and the fact that this wasn't a singular pharmacy team's doing, but it was something that the providers were also working with us to establish a care plan for the patient. And then we linked those disease states, as I mentioned, and each encounter, we documented a clinical documentation outlining what it was that we spoke to the patients about, and then maybe even including some of the questions that they may have had to best demonstrate how the time was spent. So anybody going back and reading would appreciate the efforts and really the breadth of what we can accomplish telephonically with our patient population. So our world in a nutshell. So Ashley, would you share maybe a little bit more about the building stages for CCM and where you see that going? Include some contrast in the differences in preparation that you anticipate with RPM. Sure, sure. Thank you for that. And I wanted to speak to your point too. A lot of the preparation that you're doing for um, compliance with chronic care management is excellent. And a lot of that has been outlined by our state scope of practice that's already in our collaborative practice agreements. So it's actually pretty in there. We already have outlined where we're documenting in the EMR, the patient outcomes. We've already got, we already have a process for compliance where physicians sign off on notes. We have got more advanced pharmacotherapy agreements for certain disease states, but we have been doing this for so long with collaborative practice within our state scope that it's, it's pretty easy to turn over to replicate into chronic care management. Our current state is we are waiting for final approval from our vice president of information services and our physician network to turn on a module in our current EMR. So it's really cool. We don't need another web-based platform or another software with remote patient monitoring. Chronic care management within ECW, it's just a module that's already there. They just turn it on. Super easy for the physicians to access and have continuity of care and document trails within the EMR. So if both of those stakeholders will sign off on that, then we'll be ready to pick up where we need to. A portion of that module as well is tracking for the time that we spend for patients, their outcomes, and also provides templates for the compliance that y'all mentioned for the patient accountability. So that has just been easier for us to, to lean on now, the chronic care management portion instead of the RPM. So hopefully we'll get some more COVID vaccine clinics behind us and we'll be able to get that turned on and start picking up where we've left off with these chronic care management patients. What do you think, Salty? Yeah, so I can definitely speak to what we're doing in the clinic to prepare for the potential transition. The Right now, we're having conversations with the physicians about what that would look like and what the differences would be in terms of documentation. Although the differences in terms of how we take care of the patients and what we'd actually be doing there's really not much difference between chronic care management and remote patient monitoring with that respect. We looked at the patients that were currently following for remote patient monitoring, and only one or two of them probably wouldn't qualify for chronic care management. We do have to consider what we do with our commercial patients as chronic care management is a Medicare-based service, so that definitely is a consideration. Also, with remote patient monitoring, we haven't had a 
schedule, like Christina mentioned, having those scheduled appointments. So you and the patient are both on the same page about exactly when they will be being called. That's something we've considered about potentially looking into with chronic care management, since we would be consistently following two chronic disease states. And there is a little bit more in terms of documentation requirements and specificity requirements there. I also did want to highlight that this has been a fantastic opportunity for the pharmacy students and residents that are on rotation with us in the clinic. I think that the pandemic has definitely posed challenges in terms of making sure that our learners get the same level of experience that they otherwise would when you have patients that aren't wanting to come into the office. So that's something that we're thinking about too, is how could they participate in and still stay engaged with chronic care management like they have been with the remote patient monitoring throughout our program so far. So I think that's kind of what it looks like from the clinic implementation side. It's something that we're definitely really excited about. I think the physicians and the patients are excited about it too, especially now that we're starting to see these positive clinical outcomes and the impact that this has been able to have for our patient population. We definitely don't want the need for those autonomous devices to totally negate our RPM program and not have it replaced with something. So I think that chronic care management is definitely becoming an exciting potential service to add on for our patients. And and I know that I'm excited to kind of see where it goes from here. Yes. I think the physician fee schedule changes for 2021 specifically nodded towards RPM services being not offloaded by physicians, but they're trying to make it with the levels of supervision and the incorporation of the EMRs. They're trying to create a platform for services to support physicians, right? So I do think it's a great opportunity, as you said, for pharmacy to take advantage of this and our patient populations, or it will be not replaced, but probably heavily supported by a, a more sophisticated software program under indirect supervision. So just a nod to that. Did you have anything else to add, Christina? No, but thank you for including me. I've learned so much about RPM and we'll definitely need to be investigating that more heavily as we move into the future if it's something that we have interest in by our collaborative providers. It's great talking with you guys today. Great, you too. So it does look like that's all the time we have for today. Again, I want to thank Chelsea and Christina for joining us and discussing comparing and contrasting chronic care management and remote physiological monitoring. What works for you? If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's Ambulatory Care Resources. I can personally vet them. They've been very supportive in administration processes the past couple of years. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Ampere Career Tool, certification resources, rotation guides, guidelines, policies, and information on billing and reimbursement. Be sure to also become a member of the section of Ambulatory Care Practitioners Connect Community, where you can exchange ideas and ask questions from your peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session and join us here every Thursday where we'll be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe rate or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.